Welcome to our FLC audio broadcast. We believe today's word will empower you to lead a strong life. Now, let's begin and get ready for this week's inspiring message. Hey church family, as you know, Kathy and I and Grant are in Jamaica this week. We've been able to minister and reach out and empower the next generation here over the last several days. It's been awesome. And we're looking forward to the, the uh, celebration, the dedication of the Gammasfelder Clinic here in Jamaica with the McCloys, and we're excited about what God is doing. This morning, we have someone who's going to bring a dynamic Word of God to you, is going to uh, en- engage you and empower you with the Word of God. I'm excited to have our amazing friend, our great friend here in ministry. He's the International Youth Director for the Pentecostal Church of God. He's an amazing communicator, and I'm excited for you to hear today our good friend. Could you please get on your feet and make welcome Joe Stein. Yeah, Joe. Awesome, Joe. The best hand clap. Come on, lift him up this morning. That's why we're here. Give somebody a high five and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen in Marion. (laughs) It is a... uh, It's a pleasure to be here with you today and uh, to be at FLC... Um, and it looks a lot different than the last time that I was here, roughly a year ago. A lot of radical things have taken place uh, at this, uh, in this particular community, at this church, and, and God's doing um, amazing things, and I'm just so honored to be able to speak uh, here for Tom and Kathy, just phenomenal friends and, and family as well, but I love hanging out with them because they urge me on. They, they make me better, and when we get together, it's it's really hard to sleep. We usually stay up wee hours of the morning just talking about big God things. And uh, so I honor your pastors today. And I know they're not here, but would you just honor them for their leadership today and make sure you tell them when they get back how much that, um, that you love them. I also uh, just give honor to the, to the queen of the house, uh, Aunt Mary. That's what I, I know a lot of you have different names for her. She's Aunt Mary to me. And uh, I love her and appreciate her so much. I, I'm actually standing here because uh, years ago, I think it was early 70, 1970, 69, 70, somewhere in there, uh, my, my uh, family came to the Lord uh, under her and uh, Uncle Vic's ministry. So it's just a, a whole cycle that, uh, that we get to continue on in the ministry together. So I honor you today, and thank you so much, Aunt Mary. Would you please honor her today? I also um, want to say how, how excited I am to be with Casey, and uh, I know she, she's back working and, and running kids, but Casey has uh, traveled really across the country with us, and Angie, um, you guys, and Alyssa, she's back there doing her thing. I tried to sneak in there earlier, but she was busy. She didn't want anything to do with me. She's got a job to do. Um, so and that's, all, that's Casey coming out in her and that training and love for what she does. But Alyssa's literally been from east to west with us, and so is Casey. So it's just good to be with the team, Megan, Jeremy, last night, got to together and have dinner. And and you're truly blessed uh, with uh, great young leaders 
here at this church and, and hungry leaders, um, we're, and we're, we're blessed to be here. Uh, my wife's a little jealous because she is an Aunt Mary. She loves Aunt Mary. This is one of her true mentors and examples in her life, but she has to be in Dallas where it's 82 and sunny today. So uh, <laughs> I think my kids would rather be here, though. They don't like all the sunshine in Dallas. They like overcast, snow, and cold weather. Uh, so uh, everybody else is like shaking their heads. Nope, we'll change places with them. That's right. <laughs> so, hey, I love going to heaven. I love uh, living this God life. And uh, it's exciting to be here and to conclude the series that Pastor Tom has been um, uh, speaking to you about on pathology. So let's bow our heads and let's get into the word this morning. Father, I do love you. And we just want to dedicate the next few moments to you, Lord, and what you would say to us uh, through this Series And we just offer ourselves to you. I will inevitably mess it up because I'm human, but it's your word, Lord. And when we're in it and reading and speaking from it, it cannot go wrong. So we just honor you today, Lord, with uh, everything that we have in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Well, just a, a few areas, I, uh, speaking along the lines of pathology and uh, concluding the series. And Pastor Tom sent me some thoughts and and processes on, on where he touched on the last few weeks. Um, but as I begin to talk about the conclusion of this uh, series on pathology, I, I want to focus on the life of Jesus and remembering his path. And if there's a word in the next uh, 20 minutes, 25 minutes or so, I want you to focus on it is, it's remembering. Um, years ago when I was in college, I uh, was in electrical engineering uh, school, and that's been years ago. Right now, me and electricity, if I worked on electricity, it would be a real disaster. The only thing I can say is fire if I got my hands on electricity. And uh, so it changes a lot, and I, I don't go near it now, but I studied it then. And I do know this about electricity uh, from the time that I got to, to study, is that it generally takes the path of least resistance. Electricity will generally take the path of least resistance. And considering our paths, wouldn't it be easier that if all of our paths tomorrow, the next day, and the paths and the journeys of our life had absolutely no resistance? How many would say, man, I would love to walk a path where there was no resistance. I would love for, uh, to have an easy week or an easy month or an easy year uh, in my life. But unfortunately, um, the Bible uh, lets us know that as the children of God, there's always an enemy at work against us, particularly when we're trying to draw closer to God. The Bible says that there's an enemy, the devil, that comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And unfortunately, we're going to experience in our life resistance. There's going to be uh, things that come against us that try to keep us from achieving our purpose. There's going to be resistance in your marriage. There's going to be resistance in your family. There's going to be resistance uh, in, in your finance. There may be resistance in, in your health and in your body or in your mind. Maybe resistance on your work. And, uh, and Jesus was really strong in talking about paths. Now, I have a base scripture in Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 12, and I'm going to read that here in a moment. But let me lay a little foundation on how much that Jesus was interested in journeys and paths and we're going to focus on his journey concerning our path, focusing on his path to make sure that we're walking on our path. Um, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus is standing on a hillside and he's delivering a sermon to a large crowd of people. In Matthew 7, 13, it says, enter through the narrow gate, 
for wide is the gate and broad is the road. That's a path that is taking us somewhere. So he's already making reference into things that lead us and guide us somewhere. What path do I take? Uh, do I take the one of least resistance or, or do I go this way? And Jesus is already letting us know that there's a broad road and a wide gate that many people walk through. And the scripture says that's a road that leads to destruction. And just make sure you're not conforming and walking where everybody else walks or conforming and going where everybody else is, is going. But he concludes the scripture, but small is the gate and narrow is the word or road that leads to life. And only a few people find it. So he's already talking about paths. He's already talking about a direction or places that we go. And, and considering our path, let's look at the path of Jesus and remember the path of Jesus because his own path was full of resistance. He was flesh. It's hard for us to imagine that he was like us. He, he, he walked like we did. He lived on this earth like we did. But even in his own life, as he saw his imminent death ahead of him, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39 that the Bible says that he fell down on his face and he began to cry, Father, if it's your will, could you please let this cup pass from me? Or could you please just let let me keep from going down this path of death and this road of death. And uh, so Jesus himself had his own resistance. He had his own path to walk. And if there's something that I'm interested in today in walking my journey and my path, and we all have different paths and journeys we walk down. There's different circumstances and different things that every person in here will go through over the next week or month. Or you can look at the span of a year, and, and oftentimes people will say 2012 was just one of those really tough years. And it's, a, it's basically a dot in the timeline of your path. And as we look at our path and what we desire in our path, let's remember the path of Jesus. So today, for the next few moments, I'm going to share a, a, a three points that, that deal with considering and remembering the path of Jesus. Now let's go to Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 12, before I share these three points with you. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 12. And let's listen. Jesus sees at the end of his path death. So here he is passed, and, and he's laying in a tomb. And here we come to Luke chapter 24, which is the conclusion of his path. And for most of us, that is the end uh, of our life. And when we get to the end of our path, death is, is the final resting place. Unless we know him, then we'll have eternal life. Uh, he'll come and get us or, or we'll be raised someday. But here's Jesus and, and everybody else thinks this is the end of his path. But he has to remind them in this particular moment that, um, that this is not the end. In Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 12, it says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. We know them as angels. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you... Look for the living among the dead. He's not here. He is risen. Now notice this. Remember. Everybody just say that word with me. Remember. Remember 
how he told you that while he was still with you in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And here it is again. Then they remembered. It's remembering the path of Jesus concerning our path. The next few verses, listen to this, verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven, the disciples, and to all the others. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had just happened. Here's the disciples, and problems with memory are nothing new. In fact, the other day, Tina, we were taking communion at our church, and and I have four daughters and a, a beautiful wife, and as we came out of our church and finished taking communion, we got in the car, and it was unusually silent because that's usually not the case with my daughters and my wife and there's always something going on but in the silence Tina looked over at me and and she said could tell her heart was was pondering and and heavy and she goes God knew we would forget as we take the bread and break it when it comes to communion he knew we would forget about his broken body he knew, what we, he knew we would forget when we walk our path on a daily basis and get selfish and, and live in our moment of what we don't have or, or feel the weight of the resistance of, of the path that I'm walking down or, or this moment that the enemy's coming against me and, and trying to destroy my life and, and I feel like I've just had enough and I can't take it anymore. God knew we would forget. And so he's reminding us every time that we take communion, this is my body, I, I broke this body, or this body was broken for you. This is my blood, and that blood was shed for you. And this is our moment of remembering you, God. And he knew we would forget. And I'll tell you this, concerning your path, the way to go, what to do, always remember the path of our Savior Jesus. Don't, don't just think about your path, think about his path, because thinking about his path will create a path of least resistance for you. Remember what he did for you. And he knew memory problems would be something that we all had to deal with. Now, I'm 43 years old, ladies and gentlemen. And as I get older, I can tell you right now, I get more forgetful. Is anybody else in here forget things like I do? And they did a research at John Hopkins and Karen Bola, a researcher. She began to lay out the things that people most often forget. People forget all the time. She laid the seven things out that people forget most of the time. People forget faces uh, was the number seven thing. The number six thing was, was people forget whether or not you've just done something. Anybody done that before? Huh? You forget. Did I do that? And that's the world we live in. The number five thing is we forget what was just said. A lot of times we forget something that was just said. That's why I was telling the team last night that one of my disciplines, and has been for about five years, I've always got a journal when people are speaking or pouring into my life. Because if we expect our kids to go to school and write as learners, why wouldn't we come to church as learners? It got really quiet in here. And me as an adult, I thought, no, are you kidding me? And five years ago, now, now pay attention. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, but 
And, and I've been in uh, a full-time ministry for 18 years now doing youth work. But five years ago, I began a journaling process, writing down things that are said so that I would not forget them. And I was telling the team, I've got a library and I'll fill one up and I'll put another. And it's not writing every word down. You know, I'm not telling you you have to do that, but things that will be a, that help you remember what was said that's be, become a change for your life. I'm like, hey man, I'm a macho man. I don't come to, I don't write a diary. Just get that word diary if you're a man out of your head. That's not what it is. It's a journal for you. that You can go back and recall what God is saying to you. And why do I tell you to do that? That literally revolutionized the leadership in my household and my family. So get out of here. Go get one. Come back next week, and Pastor Tom should be standing up here talking to the tops of 250 heads next week. It's the most honoring thing that can happen. Because when you're doing that, then people are writing. They're grabbing from God, getting all that I can from him, because I know that I'm going to forget it. Why? Because God knew we'd forget it. Now, what, what did he say? I know that was good this week, and, and I know that come from God. What did he say? Well, I just, I know what he said because I wrote it down. Look at somebody, give him a high five and say, I got to go get me a journal. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So God knew that we would forget. Don't, don't, isn't God just wonderful? He knew we'd be for, he would, we would forget a word. Anybody ever fig, have one of those moments when it's like, man, what does that word mean? I know, I know what that means, but I had forgotten. The number three thing people forget, telephone numbers. I mean, we live in a world of smartphones. I don't know a number. I've lived in Dallas, Texas since last September, and I'm not kidding. I still don't know my home phone number. I don't know my home phone number, but I take my phone out, and what do I do? I click home, wife, daughter in college. That's what I'll do. And so we don't remember phone numbers. The number two thing is people forget is where something is. Anybody ever lose a wallet? Car keys? Huh? Car keys? How about a phone charger? That's almost like panic when people lose phone chargers. Huh? That's worse than wallets now. Forget about the money. Where's my phone charger? Somebody may be texting me. Huh? I mean, that's like more. And finally, people forget most of the time, they forget names. So we're, we're going to forget. God knew that we would forget. It reminds me of the story about the elderly couple. And as they got older, they decided, well, you know what? We started forgetting things. So when we ask something from each other, we'll start writing it down. They were watching TV one night. He said, you know what? I'd love to have a hot fudge sundae, some chocolate on it little whipped cream and some bananas on the side. And she's like, I'll get that for you. So she got up, started off to the kitchen. He said, hey, aren't you going to write that down? She goes, silly, I'm going to make it right now. She went into the kitchen. About 15 minutes passed, and he heard pots and pans clanking in there and the awfulest racket going on and things going and happening. She come back out in about 20 minutes, had a full plate of bacon and eggs. He said, what are you doing? He said, I told you you should have wrote it down because you forgot my toast. <laughs> we are forgetful. See, and we'll go through a week, and we'll have our path of least resistance or have a path full of resistance in one of those stressful times for us that we just feel like we can't make it. 
but we'll try to make it our own way instead of remembering the path of Jesus. And the passage that we read, remember how I told you that I was coming back? Remember what he said, that he was going to rise again and that he was going to be there for you? And that particular moment, there's a lesson that the angels were, were speaking to us. And the angels' message to the women teaches us three important lessons about Jesus Christ and why we must remember his path. Number one, remembering his path creates expectation. Remembering his path creates expectation. A few simple thoughts here. We have lost, ladies and gentlemen, our expectation that our great God is working on our behalf. He's pulling for you. He's looking out for you. He believes in you, and he wants you to have the best. He doesn't want you to walk the path with all of the resistance. He wants you to have his very best. But we ourselves have lost our expectation. And the story that I read, the ladies are there at the tomb, and where are the disciples? They have lost, they have totally forgot, and they have no expectation that he is supposed to rise again like he said. That he's living. That he said he was, con- he was coming out of there and going to walk out. And expectation means to look for as likely to happen. Look forward to something. And most of us in here, we have nothing to look forward to. Because we're too busy weighted down by all of the resistance or the resistance from the past that it's like weights that we're trying to drag along. And it's scarring our soul and it's affecting our attitude. And it's affecting our lives and our families. So we don't look forward. We're too busy dwelling back to have any expectation whatsoever. Expect that God does miracles for you. Expect that God, this wouldn't be here. This miracle of this church and that radical marching around a building that we thought was it, and we got something so much better a year later, that we expected God to do something great. And God is wanting to do something great for you. We've just lost our expectation. I had a few girls, I was traveling in Mexico and doing a youth conference out there, and I was talking about God and his faithfulness and healing and things, places that I've been and traveled and miracles that I've seen. And and they were really perplexed. They're like, well, why does that happen overseas? Why does it happen in crusades? And I was, I was sharing with them one particular crusade. And, and, and I said, you know, it obviously it takes our faith to believe that God's working in our behalf. I said, but people just come with expectation. And I started sharing this story, and, and I was in a crusade in Ethiopia, and in this slide here, you can see my wife standing on the left side of this slide, and she's got that cool-looking headband on with that big smile, and there was 100,000 people in this crusade concerning expectation, and the crowd eventually swelled by the end of the week to 150,000 in one day, not over a week, a day. And uh, there were no, it was a long way out there, and it was in Jajura, uh, Africa, and uh, there were no cars, there were no roads, uh, th- there wasn't a, a, the amenities there, and people walked for days because somebody gave them, and we spent days handing out 500,000, literally 500,000 half-sheet handbills and throwing them out buses and flinging them in the air, running through neighborhoods, and people walked for days to get there. And there's this, this kind of uh, boundary set up between there and the stage. And, man, they started the music, and, and it was exciting. And people began to worship and love on God and tears running down their face. And they came with expectation. One day, I watched a family come down the hill, and it was very National Geographic, and they had this burlap 
kind of swooped burlap with, with two old poles and sticks on each side wrapped around. And I watched them dragging their father down that hill. And he, he laid in that burlap, withered up, and he, he couldn't speak. He couldn't set up. He, the only thing he could do was just lay there. And I watched them drag him into this, what I called the safe zone. Because, I mean, when they started worshiping, it got hot. It got rowdy up in there. Because, I mean, people were just just throwing their hands up in the air and, and cheering and screaming for God. And, and it was so wonderful. And then the next slide, as they begin to worship the Lord, they blitzed for the stage. And just holding on to that stage, reaching up for God, and that whole stage was swaying like this. And we were, it was a lot bigger than this, and that stage started to rock and sway. And all of a sudden that day, I remember that man laying in that safe zone. And I was like, oh, my gosh, in my mind, I'm like, that guy's got to be dead. They had to have trampled right over the top of him. And uh, I, I tried to keep worshiping, but just kept thinking about that man. And you're just looking at a quarter of this. It goes and wraps all the way around at that depth. And it was about 15 minutes later, about mid, midway or to, toward the back of, the, um, of that crowd. And I heard this celebration and people started screaming and cheering and shouting hands went in the air anybody ever been to a concert and you saw them beach balls come up on top of the crowd and they start bopping in beach balls all over the place about that time I saw that stretcher pop on top of the crowd and that thing started getting bounced all over this crowd of a hundred thousand people because there was a family that had an expectation that God was working on their behalf and they drugged their dad who was lame and crippled and pulled him to a crusade and he walked out of that place and went home as a new man <laughs> expectation now you say that's there it's everywhere ladies and gentlemen it's the difference in your expectation. You can come and say, this is my Sunday routine, or you can come here and say, I believe there's an expectation that God is working on my behalf. You see, there was a before and an after. There was a before and this man couldn't walk, and there was an after when he walked out of there, and he was a miracle and a testimony of the great things of God. And all of our lives are befores and afters. Some of us may not have the extreme before, the extreme, I was so lost without God. I was a drug addict. I, I was a murderer. I, 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 I had so many problems. I, 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 I had all of these issues and resistance in my life, but God set me free, and then there was an after. Some of us all, we have different stories of before and after, and God works, ladies and gentlemen, in the befores and the after. You see, it's your after story that encourages other people that God's working for you and working for them. Before Jesus went to the cross for our salvation and healing, we were without healing and had no expectation. But after he went to the cross, we come with expectation that I believe you're my healer. I believe you are all I need. See that? That I believe he's working for me and he has me in his mind. Before the resurrection, the cross was a blood-soaked execution tool used by the Romans as a public fear tactic. But after, the resurrection is now a symbol and a reminder of God's love for his children. And we can have that confidence that he never leaves us or forsakes us. Remembering his path creates expectation for me that he's working on my behalf. Here's the second thing that remembering his path. Remembering restores hope and joy in our life. 
Remembering restores hope and joy. The disciples were in this house in Luke chapter 24, and they were greatly depressed about the crucifixion, and they had lost their hope and their joy. It says it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the disciples. And then notice in the NIV, verse number 11, as they came back and said, hey, guys, he's not there. Like, he's gone. There's strips of linen laying in there, but he's not there. And the response of the disciples is, this is nonsense. They didn't even believe in that moment because they had lost their hope and their joy. They were pouting in a house all by themselves. And they had lost their hope and their joy. And for a lot of us, we know how to get to the house, but we come without hope and joy. We come beaten up and wounded. You see, if our God, and we know he's alive, you wouldn't be here if you didn't know he was alive. If our God who lives internally in us doesn't begin to show externally through us in your life, then you're missing the opportunity to be Jesus to the world. And that is why we're here is to be on a mission for God, to grab what we can get from him, but to leave this place and to be on a mission for God. You see, it was Jesus who rode into the temple, and we've sang about him all day and remembering the path of Jesus and the path that he took into the temple. His path carried him on the back of a donkey. And you remember what happened? You're going you're gonna to know it's a great setup for Pastor Tom in the next few weeks. As he came in on his path, people were throwing their coats and laying down these big palm branches in front of him and screaming and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I mean, it was a celebration of who he is. But it was three days later that he stood there next to Barabbas. And Pilate asked for the life of Jesus over Barabbas. And the cheers were overtaken by, give us Barabbas. This man must die. And where did all the cheering go? The cheering had stopped. And for a lot of us, we come on a Sunday and we get some cheering. But we can't sustain that cheering to where that joy is overwhelming in our life. And the problem is, is we forget. A day we forget. Two days we forget. We forget what God's promising us. We forget that God believes in me and my, my marriage and my family. And, and he believes in the things that are going on in my life. He believes I have a purpose and can do great things. And we've lost our hope and our joy. And people have carried us in this relationship with God. Now, I grew up in church. And uh, at 30 years old, I had this discovery of God. And it was no deep revelation that I feel like I need to write a book about. But at 30 years old, I had a discovery of God for myself. In that moment, people quit carrying me. My wife quit carrying me. And in Acts chapter 3... There was a guy who was lame, much like the man that, that I talked about in Ethiopia, couldn't walk. And his friends would carry him to the, to the outside the doors of the church every day or the temple and lay him there. And he would beg. He would put out his cup and shake change. And he was beaten and wounded. He had no joy. He had no life. He couldn't walk all of his life. And he was carried all of his life. 
And he sat there with his head down, and that was his demeanor. And at 30 years old, I quit being carried, and I found God myself and started getting on my feet and walking myself. And a lot of us, that's us. We feel spiritually beaten down and like somebody's been carrying us. But when you go on a discovery of God, then all of a sudden we don't have to beg anymore. He just shows up and he's there. And the Bible says in Acts chapter three um, that Peter and John, they come walking by. And in that moment, they seen this lame man begging there and shaking his cup like a lot of us do. Spiritually, we're begging. And God's desire for you is not to beg. He's our portion. He's all that we need. And, and we don't have to beg for him. And in that moment, here he was without hope, without joy. His head was down. And then they came in there. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 4 through 8, you can read it for yourself this week. Peter looked down at him and said, hey, look at us. And in that moment, it, it lets you know the man's demeanor that he was down. And in that moment, the Bible says that he looked up on them and he said, hey, I don't have any money. I sound like Cy on Duck Dynasty, don't I? Hey, I don't have anything to give you is what Peter said, but what I do have, I will give it to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, and they reached down and grabbed his hands. And immediately the Bible says strength was restored to his ankles and legs. And they pulled him up and that man walked immediately. He went out of there praising God and, and loving him for what he did. And that's us. All we have to do is take our authority in Jesus name. And they didn't have to say, Everybody gather around. We're going to have a prayer meeting for this man that God would heal him. They didn't take time out to pray. They just took their authority in the name of Jesus and they remembered his path. They remembered the path that he took and said, in my name, in my authority, I've given you. Don't forget that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Give somebody a high five and say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Mm. Finally, my last point, point number three, remembering the path of Jesus brings you out of hiding. Remembering his path brings you out of hiding. Now, this stretches us a little bit. God gives us this expectation that things can and will be different in our life. God creates new joy for me. And I know a lot of us may be feeling, oh, he can say that, hey, I'm like anybody else. You got to want it. You got to reach up for it. You got to believe that things can change. And if I change, everything changes. And you got to look inside of yourself and say, Lord, what do you want from me? I don't want anybody carrying me. I want to give it to you, the very best that I've got. And then finally, remembering brings you out of hiding. Get out of the house. Where were the disciples? They were hiding in a house. They were held up in a house. Now, I love this celebration. I love coming on Sundays. And I've been, I've, you go right back here, and, and the ush, usher team can tell you there's a pile of Kleenex back here this tall. Because I've just been crying at what the Lord has done for you in this house. That I got to be a part, and I got to pray with you, and I got to believe that lives are going to be changed through this place. And, and FLC, there ain't no way you can hide. You got a 120-foot vinyl banner out here on the front of your building. And you're, you're out here in a big old harvest field where there's nothing else around. Isn't that great? 
Why, it's a place to be, the harvest field. <laughs> so everybody's going to see that you're not hiding. But FLC will become what it's going to be, not because you got a building with a banner, but you got families who've been touched and changed by God. Not spooky, not weird, but something happened on the inside of us. And now it's our commission to go and tell others, let the person that's working by you on your job know that God done great things for me. And you don't have to force it down their throat. There's two things that, that I would say help bring me out of hiding. There's, there's two simple points that I want to share with you here real quick. Coming out of hiding. Number one is that when it comes to talking about, to people about Jesus Christ, number one, you don't have to argue with them. Okay? Let's just get that out of our head. Because we're too busy arguing doctrine or arguing about whether we're right or they're right, or arguing about whether there should be a pope with white smoke. Seriously. We're too busy arguing. Don't ar Jesus never argued with anybody, ladies and gentlemen. You notice that? You read his path. He didn't argue with anyone. He, he just went to them. Number one, don't argue with people. Number two, just talk and have conversation. And somewhere in conversation, as you develop relationship and friendship, the opportunity will come for you to share about the great thing God's done for you, how he restored your joy and hope, how he performed miracles in your life, and he brings us out of hiding. You see, the women, not the men, came to the tomb to embalm him, and they expected to find his body and his corpse in that tomb. What the angels say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. Don't you remember? I told you. This is what they were saying. Don't you remember? And they ran back and told everybody else that was in hiding and it's time for us to come out of hiding it's time for us to let the holy spirit use us to change other people's lives i, I was on a mission i had a mission team last year and, and this will, i'll conclude with this story i had a mission team last year in denver and we were helping joe cordero he's 91 years old world war ii veteran and and uh, Air, Force, uh, Air Force pilot. And we were redoing his home and had a team of 35 that went downtown Denver. And, and man, we just did like an extreme home makeover for him over the weekend and a bunch of collegians and teens and just had a good time. So I thought I'd take everybody out for dinner that Saturday night. And uh, downtown Denver, and I said, get us a good place. I'm gonna treat the team. So we got all 35 of us up in this balcony and man, it was hopping. I mean, it was a, it was a hotbed there. So um, our waiter came up and he was a, a unique looking guy. And he had like nine, 10 inches pancake like mohawk, just flat as paper, running right down the middle of his hair, head. And I, I just kept staring at it. I had to watch because I kept staring at it. That thing was waving back and forth. And I don't know if I was intrigued or envious or what. I just kept watching. That thing was just, and it just stood there. But he was real cool and had big gauges in his ears and man he was tatted up but that guy had the best attitude and I began to get into a conversation with him and, and, and the Lord and even even those of us who have been doing this for a long time we, we have a tendency to hide because of intimidation he was a big guy and we can be intimidated and I talked to some folks after the first service about what they were intimidated by and, and it was a, a awesome conversation that we all go through that so I began to talk with this gentleman and found out that his mom had been diagnosed with cancer just a few weeks prior and was terminal and didn't, didn't expect to live through a conversation. Team got finished and, and the Holy Spirit began to whisper to me, hey, 
you got a witness to, you got to pray for this guy. And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> Crowded restaurant, very big man with a cool looking haircut, tattoos, not me. 5'8", short, bald, don't live in Denver, not going to happen. That was, the sp- that was my spirit talking with God. I'm not kidding. Anybody ever been there before? Hmm? That's me. And, and, and so, Lord, I'm going to bless him with a above and beyond tip. I thought that was my way out to give him more money. That's how I was going to get out of there. So I wrote him a good tip because he was a great waiter. He, he made a real imp- impression upon me. And my wife is sitting there and, and we started heading out the door and the team. And I said, man, you did a good job. And I was tapping him on the back. And, and uh, we started going down this balcony of stairs and the Holy Spirit just kept chirping away at me, Aunt Mary. Just, hey, you got to go back up there. You got to go back up there. And I was like, oh. That's, I was literally frustrated because I couldn't get that out of my spirit. And I went back up there, and I'm like, I tapped him on the back, and he stood up, and he was looking at me, and I'm like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And I said, dude, do you care if I pray for you and your mom before I get out of here? And in that moment, I saw this big man just break and start bawling tears in that place. He didn't care who was watching, neither did I at that moment because I was obedient to what the Lord was saying. I came out of hiding. I crossed hands with him. I began to pray, God, if it's your will, we just ask you to heal. But if not, we know you're there for us and you can heal his broken heart and you have a plan for him and her life. And I mean, I was just, and it started amping up and I wasn't paying any attention and it started amping up and I just put my hands on his shoulder and we concluded that prayer with crying and tears and and praying for salvation and he backed up and he was like can I have a hug (laughs) and he came and he gave me this big old bear hug and listen God is urging us to come out of hiding he's urging us with boldness in our schools if you're a teenager not to be ashamed of him but to, 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 to walk the walk that Jesus lives in our life. And yes, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Somebody, if you're a teenager in here or a kid, somebody inevitably will make fun of you. Somebody will ridicule you for your walk. But you keep walking because eventually they're going to see the pureness of your heart. And you keep loving because eventually they're going to come back around and they're going to ask you for prayer for something that they may be going through. I've seen it every time. So I urge you to come out of hiding. Don't be ashamed on your job. Don't be ashamed in your neighborhoods. And listen and pay attention and be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to argue. All you have to do is get in conversation and relationship. And I'm afraid we've lost the ability to have conversation. We're so socially media driven and and I use it just like anybody else. That's how I connect with people and, and I love it but I will not let it replace my ability to have conversation. Because if we don't get in conversation, then nobody will know and ever hear about the God who loves us, about the God who changed us. That's why I love, I'm getting on a plane here in a few hours. You know what, I love getting on planes. It's like a trap. It's a trap. It's a God trap if you're a Christian. It's 30,000 feet, nowhere to go. You are sitting by me. (laughs) And you know what it is? It's like, always, I just, I mean, hey, what do you do? 
well, I just happen to be a missions director for teenagers, and I take kids, kids around the world serving in mission, and it just inevitably just explodes in conversation. And I've prayed for more people on planes and taken my opportunity, and I would urge you to come out of hiding and take your opportunity. Remembering the path of Jesus creates expectation for me and my path. Remembering the path of Jesus restores hope and joy for me and my path. And there's going to be resistance. It's going to happen. But remember his path this week. Remember the path of Jesus brings me out of hiding and gives other people a chance. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why we're here today. We're not here today to hear the next great song, although it's awesome and it takes us somewhere. We're not here today to see how great this building is. And although it is great and it's a miracle that God give it to us, We are here today that someone will confess Jesus as their Savior. That is our number one priority. We are here today so that you, maybe you have taken a path that you shouldn't, and nobody's here condemning you because God's saying, there's another path for you. He still believes in you. He loves you, and so do his servants. We love you, and we believe in you. We're praying for you today. That's why we're here. So that if, if one will come, the Bible says all of heaven breaks out into a party and begins to celebrate that one soul found God today. One soul found God. It's not about our religion. It's not about the things we put on. And I said it earlier, and I heard it last week from my pastor. Religion is man's way to try to get to God, but Jesus is God's way to try to get to man. We're here to celebrate him and how he can change our path. Would you stand with me? Bow your heads. Father, I love you today, and I feel your presence, Lord, today. And we invite you into this place for this time so that as you're dealing with the hearts of many today, maybe you're restoring hope and joy to a marriage Maybe you're restoring hope and joy to a family. Maybe you're restoring a financial household. Maybe you're restoring a mind today, Lord. Maybe you're restoring a wound or a scar, something I've been holding on to. Create expectation in us, God, that God's working on my behalf. I stand here today with this group of people believing and expecting that you're going to give them the miracle that they need today, Lord. We all walk a different path, and they're all different. We all take different directions. But the Bible says there's only one way to heaven, and that's through his son, Jesus, and asking for the repentance of our sins. We trust that today's message has been an encouragement to you. If you have any questions or would like more information about Family Life Church, visit us on the web at www.yourfamilylife.org.